Yeah, the kids. Good morning again. <laughs> um, abide in Jesus. This is, you know, I, as I was preparing for this talk, I um, I thought back to when Paul Gay was here and he would do talks on creation and point us to God through through nature and what God has created. And I thought, you know, we've been missing that for a while. And I'm not going to attempt to be Paul because he's special, but I'd never reach up to that level. <laughs> but I thought I'd learned a little bit about this process where plants get the water out of the ground and how that actually gets funneled up to the leaves on that plant. And it's actually pretty cool. I'm guessing some of you may already know, but this, this function of the plant is called transpiration. And when the water goes down into the... Oh, look, I've even got a pointer. The water goes down into the ground and then through the roots. It's absorbed through these root hairs and then it comes up through the stem, out through the branches and feeds the leaves. Now, the plant actually takes up more water than it actually uses. And what happens is water evaporates from these leaves and as it evaporates, it creates what they call the transpiration pull. And it's like a suction. It actually sucks the water up from the roots, through the stem, up and out, and feeds these. And of course, in that water, there is actually nutrients dissolved in that water also. Um, and it's, it's a pretty cool process, really. I mean, the water going up through the stem almost, you know, seemingly defying gravity, and pulling up through this plant and feeding the outer branches. And the other thing I found quite interesting is that the process is not constant, so that evaporation is dependent on the environment. So whether it's hot outside, it evaporates more quickly. Whether it's cold, it doesn't. And the leaves actually will, will change depending on their environment. And so what they require is what the plant then feeds to them. And I thought that was quite a cool picture. And it, um, it can get you thinking about these analogies that, that Jesus used to describe his relationship with us, his relationship to the Father. And I chose this picture because it was really the only one that I could find with fruit on it. And so that's kind of a side note, to be honest, but I thought that was pretty cool. So I quickly took a picture of Neville's shirt before and used that as the background. Very apt, Neville, thank you. Um, reflection. I should probably look at my notes, actually, before I go way off track right at the beginning. The last year, as I reflected back to the last year, I um, looked at my faith journey, and I could actually see, excitingly, I could actually see some growth in it. Um, and I'm not particularly good at reflection, I'll have to admit that, it's something that I'm working on. And as I reflected back the last year, I realised I probably hadn't reflected the year before either, so I'll go two years back. And 
And when I looked at that journey and the growth that I had, I sort of reflected on, on how that came about. And, and I realised that actually next month is Mark's two years since I started my one-year Bible reading plan. And as the mathematicians out there, oh, you can tell that uh, it's probably that statement doesn't add up. But, <laughs> but what I found when I started that journey a couple of years ago was my focus on it was really to do the right thing by reading God's word and feeding myself. And as time went on, when I started delving into his word, that focus actually became an increasing desire to know God. And, and to know his character and get to know God's message for my life and how it applies to, to my life and the world around me. And funnily enough, the more I connected in with God through his word, the more my desire was to actually pray, to get to know him through prayer. And, and the more my desire was to experience him um, outside of that in the big wide world in, in action. And so, I've got a statement here. I, I wholeheartedly believe that knowing God is more than just knowing about him. It's a relationship in which we're meant to take an active role. And so, I want to read to you the words of Jesus. And it's in John 15, if you want to follow along. And I'm reading um, from the... ESV version, um, which I've been reading for the last couple of years, and and it actually the reason why I changed versions was to get a new light on some of the verse the verses that I've probably known for quite many years, and sometimes I find myself reading over them and going, oh yep, I repeat that in my head, but to get a new version it actually sometimes brings that to life again. But so I'm reading from the ESV, and these. I want you to grasp the concept that these are the words of Jesus, as recorded by John. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And they've just had a meal, he's washed their feet, he's taught them many things at this point, and he's about to go to the garden to be arrested. And this is some of the last things that he was teaching his disciples. So the words of Jesus, starting in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
For this, or by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Jesus, the vine that gives life, the vine that nourishes and sustains and gives everything the branches need to thrive and bear much fruit. The branches, they cling to that vine for dear life, utterly dependent on the vine for life, nourishment and growth. These branches can do nothing without him. Just like the, br- the branches on a plant, we as believers are utterly dependent on Jesus. We are dependent on him for a continuous source of life and nutrients for spiritual growth. Without Jesus, we, we last a short while and eventually wither and die without Jesus. Jesus instructs his disciples and you and I as believers to abide in him as branches abide in a vine. Notice, and it was alluded to in the video, that it's an instruction, that it's something we, to, we are to do. And in verse 4 here, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. And I in you is a phrase without an explicit verb, which means that it's probably an abbreviated way of saying, See that I abide in you. Or safeguard your relationship with me so that I continue to abide in you fully. In other words, believing in Jesus is not a set and forget. We're playing an active part in holding fast to Jesus. And I ask myself, am I utterly dependent on Jesus? And what does that actually look like? Well, I first have to ask myself the question, do I know God's love?
when we see our position before Jesus, as in not coming before Jesus, but before Jesus came, that position was in sin, in darkness. You were dead in your sin. You were in darkness with no hope. And God didn't just reach down into the darkness, he actually became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He was in the beginning and all things were made through him and yet he humbled himself even to death on a cross. He showed his love for you in this. While you were in your sin, Jesus died for you. There is no greater love. We were enemies and as Jeremy has brought to us a couple of weeks ago, we are now called children of God. Do we get that juxtaposition? Do we get that from one, from one end of the scale to the other? And so what is our response to that? Our response says a lot about whether we are content in just knowing about God or whether we're truly interested in knowing him. And it's kind of like accepting the terms and conditions when your phone gets an update. Do you know what I'm talking about? Your phone gets this update and this little pop-up comes up and you go, it says something along the lines of, do you accept the terms and conditions? And you go, yep. Without having read them, because <laughs> no one reads those, right? And we want to get to the good bit without actually getting to the nitty-gritty of what's expected of us. But we're to hold fast to Jesus as if our life depended on it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Do you know his words? I want to read you what Jesus says in Matthew 4.4. And you've probably heard this verse before, but I'd like you to, to listen to it as if you're reading it for the first time. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. To know it's good to read your Bible is very different from the picture Jesus is painting here. I mean... If we truly believe that the, the words of Jesus are eternal life, and we truly believe that in this book there is literally the words of eternal life contained in them, what are we doing with it? And this is a challenge I've challenged myself with. If we say that we love him and yet we don't spend any time listening to him and prayer with him, what does that say about how much we value his voice? And it, yes, it's hard to understand in places. And sometimes I think, oh, I probably wish I was a theologian. Otherwise, you know, I might not read Isaiah or, or skip those bits because... It's hard to understand, which it is. 
But God has revealed himself through his word and through the person of Jesus. And we're in a privileged position to, to even have that. And do we understand that? I love Barry's talk last week and the, bit, the, the comment I remember Barry is it costs them a lot to go. And the wise men of the East, I mean, I can, you can understand they had some knowledge of who it was they were going to see. And, and now we have it all collated in this book for us. <laughs> the wise men took a four-year journey, possibly, to return. And, and sometimes we just put this book on the bookshelf and let it gather dust. As Peter puts it in First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. In verse 3 here, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So if we know God's love and we've experienced his goodness, our response to this can be nothing short of seeking him continually in his word, in prayer, and in action. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And this is a reiteration of Jesus' words earlier in the night to his disciples where he said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. To believe in Jesus is not just to ask him into your heart and then keep on living as you were before. Graham touched on this a few weeks back when he said, We come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. Jesus welcomes us with open arms as sinners, but after he lifts us up out of our despair, he says, now go and sin no more. Our love for Jesus is shown out in our obedience to him. And to be clear, because I wanted to make sure it wasn't confused, we're not saved by works. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by obedience to his word, but obedience to his word is the outworking of genuine faith in Jesus. In other words, the proof is in the pudding. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So here we find the primary purpose of abiding in Jesus. 
That's for the glory of God. We're saved to bear fruit for his glory. Like many things, Jesus is the example for us here by keeping his Father's commandments. In John chapter 1, uh, 1 John, he says, whoever, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I wanted to bring you a challenge this morning that's challenged me in my faith. And upon reflection, there's been many years of my faith journey where I saw my, my relationship with Jesus as I prayed a prayer once and asked him into my life. But it's more than that. Do we fully grasp the grace and the love that God has for you? And what is our response to that? Our response should be to abide in him, to hold fast to Jesus, to be utterly dependent on him. There is no other name by which men can be saved. And I, I didn't want to um, skim over this, but I'll, I'll, I will mention it. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I love you. Because love one another is another whole sermon in itself. But it speaks to the reiteration of the importance of the church and the unity of believers in Christ. Because in the context here, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and telling them to love one another. So that's the message for another day. But but I did want to just mention it because it's in... It's in Something to, to be encouraged by as we gather together. Yep. So as you abide in Jesus, you grasp hold of him and utterly depend on him for your nourishment, I encourage you to seek him in his word. To seek him in prayer and to seek to obey him. Um, and I do I've, I've been tossing up whether to share this verse whether it was going to make it more confusing but I will read it um, First Chronicles 28 and starting in verse 9 and this is David speaking to his son Solomon. This is David at the, towards the end of his life passing the baton to Solomon in front of a congregation of all the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders, the leaders in his army, all the important people, and he says to Solomon these words, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart 
and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Take encouragement by the words, like I do, if you seek him, he will be found by you. So let us, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you created all things with your word. You spoke and it became. You are the beginning and the end. In you there is no darkness. Help us, Lord, to see you. Help us to understand your love for us. I pray, Lord God, that the words spoken this morning may land on the hearts of the hearers to encourage them to seek you, to grasp hold of Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to remain in him to stay in him. May your spirit work in the hearts of those this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing one last song.